You're listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. Look, gentlemen, by my genius, by my gift of science and harnessing the powers of Mother Nature. Look, do you see? He moves, he breathes, he lives. It's alive, it's alive. He lives, he's alive. Never fear, gentlemen. The straps and chains of chromium steel will hold him. Birth is always painful. You were just listening to the moment when Dr. Salva brings her monster to life. Frankie, in our audio drama, our Monsterama audio drama adaptation of Mark Wheatley's Frankenstein Mobster. Hi, I'm Mark Redfield. Welcome to the program. Um, In recording all of the actors for the audio drama Frankenstein Mobster, I had the great pleasure to work uh, once again with Daniel Roebuck. Um, I hadn't worked with Dan and I, oh, over 10 years. And uh, one day after one of his sessions at the Invisible Studios in Los Angeles, after recording some dialogue for Frankie, he is, Dan Roebuck is playing the Frankenstein mobster. Um, We had a little bit of time left over and our wonderful engineer, Charles, uh, just kept the the tape rolling and uh, captured our conversation. Just uh, two old pals catching up on uh, life and careers, uh, Frankenstein mobster, movies we've made, movies we're making, the monsters, and uh, all kinds of stuff like that. So um, I hope you enjoy eavesdropping in the recording booth. Uh, Here's my chat in November 2021 with Daniel Roebuck. Wonderful to work with you for the last couple of days. Well, Mark, it's about time we we pull this off. The last time we worked together was in... uh... Uh, the great Larry Blameyer film, uh, Dark and Stormy Night. What, was that Was that like 13 years ago, 14? Oh, gosh, I think it was. I think it was better than a decade. And uh, it was a pleasure for me because um, I got to uh, act with the entire company, the entire cast. I sat at a desk, and uh, I think I was three days on the set. Yeah, and, you... Uh, yeah, you were uh they they you were at a at a hotel. <laughs> I yeah, remember coming I, to bring you home to have dinner at our house or something, and I was like, You're staying here? This is where you're staying. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> but you survived. Saving uh, sparing no expense. But no, what was wonderful for me was playing the lawyer in Dark and Stormy Night was um I think on the first day uh we shot my side of it. Uh, I think uh, uh, Larry had two or three cameras, and so we we got my side of everything done reading the will. Right. And then what I was able to do was, um, or maybe it was the opposite, all of you, uh, you uh, uh, playing the detective, um, I mean, just a wonderful cast, um, and uh, just getting all of your coverage 
just watching you work, watching everybody work was just sort of fantastic. Um, it, 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 it was such a beautiful experience for me. Isn't it something like it? He, he was, uh, I mean, I, I try to do that too. Uh, got to get you in there on my stuff, but you know, he had a stock company, you know what I mean? And, and I love that idea that it's different actors playing different roles and different things. I had to beg my way in there, by the way, Brian, uh, uh, Brian Howe was in a TV series with me called a, a minute with Stan Hooper. And he had in his dressing room, the big poster. And I was like, I love that movie of lost skeleton of Cadaver. I was, yeah. I loved it. I was like, I gotta, I gotta get in there. And one day he goes, be careful what you wish for. Uh, <laughs> and then I ended up in the next few. Uh, but we always had such a great time. And Larry is such a, he's such a great voice and such a fun person. Good, good person. Good dad. Good, he, good writer. Good guy. He really is. And I love the idea of a repertory company. I mean, I think Larry, I, I tried to do the same thing. When you work with people that you know, there are two things as a director, and I think you can check with this, is that you know an actor's strengths, and then you also know where what new territory you might like to push them into. Exactly. A, a thousand percent. And then you get a little shorthand going, and it's just the work is fun. And, and, and it doesn't feel like work whatsoever. Yeah. And it's if really you trust, great. if you have actors who are intuitive... Uh, that's really the key to it. Uh, I mean, every actor that I bring in is an actor who can, uh, who can just do whatever, you know, I need them to do. And then you, you have fun. I I've learned that, uh, nobody would be able to know this except a guy like Jerry Lewis or someone who directs and stars in his own movies that you could also direct from within your own performance, Right. You could, uh, you know, when you do another take, you could, if you have a great actor, like if people see Getting Grace, uh, the movie we did about a a teenage girl who's dying, goes into a funeral home, finds out what's going to happen after she dies, and she ends up teaching the funeral director how to celebrate life. This actress, Madeline Dundon, uh, who I discovered, literally, I pulled her out of my own high school in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I could tell immediately she had great intuition as an actor. And and I, I I could just kind of change her rhythm and everything if I changed mine, because she she didn't just say words she heard listened you know that's I mean that's the key of it isn't it listening it is I love getting Grace by the way oh, thank and you. her performance is very very strong it thank is you. wonderful and I think you can do that because if an actor uh, uh, and and particularly in film if they're intuitive and if they're whether they know it or not if they're a new actor, if they're in the moment, they are shaped by that. And and that helps them forget about all of the crap that's around them. The Absol- cameras that Abs- no, stick. absolutely. It's interesting, like b- being a, you're a director, a writer, uh, you know, I've, I've been blessed to do that a lot in my life as well. Uh, when you do these audio dramas, it's a, it's a whole different McGilla, isn't it? You've got to, you got to go, Oh, I know this actor will be good because you don't, people might be surprised to learn that we don't read it all together. Now, sometimes you do, right? Sometimes you'll record these, if possible, everyone in the same room. But uh, Because I've done a few like that. But it's difficult sometimes to get busy people into one room. And now, during COVID, you know, nobody wants to get into one room. 
No, absolutely. The uh, We have done a couple like that. Uh, a great majority of um, Sinbad and the Pirate Princess was getting the actors in one room for about four days. We had table reads and then we had a sound crew come in. Uh, this was with Caroline Monroe and Martin Beswick and, and uh, yeah, a bunch of actors. I like yeah, people with. should, that's, that's available, right? That's available online. Oh yeah. That's, that's out on audible and, and CD. Yeah. People and, should get um, that. It's great. And we did do uh, multiple, multiple uh, actors, multiple microphones and an audio engineer. And then one of the things that we found was, and it's just like film, when we get these scenes, sometimes we want to move a scene around. Sometimes we want to add a piece of dialogue. And Jennifer Rouse, who is our composer and sound designer, who is tasked with doing the cut, putting the stuff together, about that project, and we had done some others too. We had done some where we had actors and we recorded live in front of an audience. And the wonderful thing, as you know, is you actors uh, rehearse, they get to, and then it's a, it's a piece, it's a cakewalk. But Jennifer found that because we had sometimes very finite things we wanted to rearrange or, or, or change, we made a decision, uh, actually before COVID, she said, well, why don't we just record the actors individually? No. Like, we would do in you know an animated film or something. Yeah, then you have and, you, yeah. you have better right. You have uh, just a better control. A lot of control. And what I like to do something that I steal from Mercury Theater on the Air and Orson Welles is the the I love overlapping dialogue. I oh, love yes. being able to give it breath. And if you've got an actor clean and you're cutting actors together, then you can vary the pace a little bit. And what I find is, you know, when I'm when I'm casting these things, and Mobster is a perfect example, is I I, I like to work with people that I know. I I I I, I like to um, have very different voices together. There's a there's a weird thing, and it translates into film too. Have you ever noticed a film where there are supporting characters, and and they're cast? They tend to look a little bit alike. Oh yeah, and, dude. It's the, wait, but the new way is that the leads in the movies all look alike too, or especially on a TV show. Every guy is a dark brown-haired guy, or now he's a you like light-skinned black guy, and you're like, is that which guy is that? That guy, who is that? Yeah, and and so in audio theater, audio drama, you know, I really try to go out on my way to make sure that there are two good actors that for the tone and the texture, it's a little salt and pepper. They have very different voices. And then you're creating music just out of their texture. Well, that's and you're I, a smarter man than I am. I, I mean, these these audio dramas are are um, like I've done I've done animation, of course. Uh, uh, it's it's just a it's just a different kind of animal. Like when we do, say Jedi Fallen Order, you know, we actually perform it. It's not just voice capture; it's performance capture. So you act yeah, the whole yeah. thing out. Um, so sitting, sitting and reading is interesting. Hey, I have a little factoid that you may not know. Uh, Rankin Bass, uh, all those things that we loved as kids, Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, they recorded those round robin. Um, oh. And yeah. you know how I found that out? Uh, talk about this is what we call name dropping. Uh, my friend, Andy Griffith, who narrates uh, – 
uh, he narrates the one with uh, Frosty, Frosty where he gets married to Shelley Winters. Um, <laughs> uh, Andy said they all sat around and just read it twice, and they recorded what they read. And they were out the door. Yeah, and, and then they were and for, that's right. And then it was like, see you later. That'll be on TV forever. <laughs> Good animation. Good cartoon. Good cartoon. Because for those listeners who are remembering, uh, Dan was on Matlock with Andy Griffith. And um, uh, I knew you before I knew you, of course, because of stuff. And, oh. and I knew you from The, the Fugitive and the, um, the sequel, uh, U.S. Marshals, uh, that you did with uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, so I knew you before we met on uh, Blind Myers Picture. And I want to tell you something, and I knew you, and I'm not making fun, I'm telling you the truth, through uh, Tony Malinowski's, uh, that project he did about the Revolutionary War. Oh, wow, Bunker uh, Hill. Bunker Hill, wow. I saw you in that first. <clears throat> That's and thought, funny. That guy, that guy's fun. You know, you were carrying that show. Um, um, that's a fun, yeah, Isn't that a fun thing about being an actor is like, you can really love someone and then one day you're standing on a set with them and you're like, wow, uh, you know, and, and you, I know you're like me, that you're a, a character actor guy. Look, everybody wants to be on a set with movie stars. That's, that's great. But, you know, meeting people in my life, like Edward Herman or Don Rickles or, you know, these, uh, these great supporting actors, uh, you know, that to me is, cause I'm a, you know, I, if I had a biography, it would be called standing next to the guy. <laughs> cause yeah, I do a, yeah. a lot of my work has been done standing next to the other guy. So the, you know, the movies on Tommy Lee Jones shoulders, I don't have to worry about that, but you know, I'm standing next to him. <laughs> so absolutely. I, you know, I get half the glory. I get, I get to shine. By the way, I want to work a new joke out. I just thought of this last night. Now I have your phone. If you have an iPhone, you can airdrop. Right. Yeah. yeah. My iPhone, I, I, this, maybe this is only in Hollywood because uh, you could also name drop because I sent some <laughs> pictures yesterday to my friend, Tom Hanks. <laughs> I, he's not my friend. That's why it's funny. No, By the way, as an actor, uh, if and if you if people get to watch this as well as hear it, I'm talking to the the camera as well as the microphone. I'm like I'm like a dual personality. Speaking of Tommy Lee Jones, Two Face in a in a Batman movie. Um, anyway, back to this. Back no, to this. I, I was just thinking too that um, I first met Blamire. It's because he had seen my film of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and um, Somehow he reached out and we had lunch uh, in Los Angeles one day. And it was really about him picking my brain about distributors. And I think this was this obviously after uh, Lost Skeleton of Cadaver. Yeah. And they were trying to figure out where they were going to go with things. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm getting a call to do uh, Dark and Stormy <coughs> and get to uh, meet and work with you. No. But, um, I'd like you to, know, can you have, send me that? I'd like to see that. Is that out on DVD? It is. We're actually, um, yeah, I'll send you a copy of that. I love that. I'm, I'm hoping that we can get it, um, on Blu-ray sometime next year. It would be nice if, uh, 
it were a little more available and under a couple of streaming services. Yeah, and you did um, another, well, you did an Edgar Allan Poe one too, didn't you? Yeah, uh, Poe has been a big part of a lot of the stuff we've done in audio, and then I did do a film. And it's all because I was supposed to do, and I still have a really great script, I was supposed to do um, a feature based on Poe's Telltale Heart, and I oh. was going to do it with uh, the late Robert Quarry. Wow. Uh, as the guy with the eye, and I was going to do it with the late Ingrid Pitt. That's a long, long story. Um, had a very good script. I had set the thing um, in the f right when, uh, right during Lincoln's assassination, oh. and there's martial law, and uh, so it's a boarding house somewhere between D.C. and Baltimore, where these characters converge, and. Um, and then Bob uh, passed away, and he and I had wanted to work together really badly when we met. And uh, one of the things I regret, um, I don't know the last time you've done any theater. I, I miss theater to a degree. And um, uh, Bob wanted to do, I never sang for my father. No. There was a little theater in uh, Beverly Hills uh, that he thought we could, we could do this, no. and we talked about it. But by the time it looked like it could be a possibility and it's not a, it is thought of as a two-hander, but there, I think there are like five characters in the thing, but by the time we could do it, um, he had slowed down and, and had moved into uh, Woodland Hills into the home and, and he passed away. And then dear Ingrid for another year, she would call me out of the blue at all kinds of odd. Wow. Things. That's cool. <laughs> and just say, how about this one? for uh the part oh. how about that one and we tried and then ingrid passed away yeah i, I didn't, is, I didn't know she had died bad. that's too bad yeah and um but uh and she didn't look at the clock she's in was in uh, england of course and i'm on the east coast in the <laughs> u.s but it died with the phone would ring you know four o'clock in the morning morning four o'clock in the morning it really didn't <laughs> that's so funny do you know, Robert Quarry, I was on the set one time. Uh, listeners might be entertained by this. Um, they did The Phantom Empire. Uh, Fred Olin Ray, uh, Jeff oh, Combs, your buddy, Robert Quarry, uh, uh, Ross Hagen, Sybil Danning. Uh, but I'm on the set because my friend Bob Ivey was the stuntman or stunt coordinator or whatever, Fred Olin Ray movie. And they shot up at Bronson Camera and that Bronson Canyon, excuse me. And then they brought in Robbie the robot. Bob Short brought Robbie, but you didn't get <laughs> the Robbie. You got the other, the, you know, you got the secondary head. And I think Bill Malone or Bob Short was in the robot. So all these things, people that I know years later converged on this day. And uh they had only rented because it's Fred Olin Ray, who I, I love the guy, but you know famously cheap right so they they only rented the robot for two hours or something so they finally get the robot in the cave they get the cave lit we're in the middle of bronze cave we're watching for you know roll camera roll sound market okay action and jeffrey combs robert quarry ross hagan they're staring at fred and ray and he goes i said action and and Jeff Combs go or Robert goes. You didn't. We don't know what to do. 
And and Fred Olin Ray literally says out loud, yelling, just jump in front of the camera and do something. And I thought that might be the greatest direction I'll ever hear. Now, that was probably 1986, yeah. uh, I would guess, maybe 86. And now it's 2021. And I've still never heard any direction spoken on any set. And I've been on hundreds <laughs> as good as that. And I just thought he was Count Yorga. He wore he wore the Paisley tuxedo and ran at us. And he was Count Yorga. And now he's being directed like that. Just jump in front of the camera and do something. Oh God. It's amazing. It's amazing. I will say um on Cuddly Fred Olin Ray's behalf, he really did uh do what he could for Bob. Uh um, uh, in the in the last uh, years of uh, of Bob Corey's life, um, did give him work when he could, and you know when we became friends, it was there was all kinds of tectonic shifts. You know, uh, runaway production. There really wasn't enough work in Los Angeles, right. and then there's ageism. He was older, and he would make a crack. You know, can't somebody just hire me to be the judge? You know, in the courtroom scene. And, um, you know, but Fred did give him work and kept him going, even though, God bless him, they were Fred Olin Ray films. Just jump in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, again, I, I, I hope he considers me a friend. I certainly consider Fred a friend. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, you just never would know so many years later how, how special a moment was. Look, just to be in Bronson Cave, people should, if they don't know, that's the bat oh cave. God. That's the cave from the original Lost Horizon. It's been in, it's been in nine hundred, two thousand. Who knows how many movies? Uh, it is. So to it be is. on the it's cave, have its own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah, to be in the cave with the robot with Robert Quarry. You know, it doesn't really get better than that when you're twenty three <laughs> years old. And Sybil Danning, who was, who also oh, uh, cool. I've gotten to know later in life. So, nah, it's you know. Look, it's all just a, it's all just a hoot and and working with people we love and admire is 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 one of the great benefits that um that's that is what it is and I've you know I've come to the the point in my life I mean I I work every day and I do work with people that I love and respect and I am filled I'm full I'm happy with it yeah um and I'm and I'm you know the I like the medium of audio drama or audio theater. You know, I get to act, I get to write and direct. So it's cheaper than making movies. <laughs> I love making movies, but it allows, it is a daily creative unfolding with collaborating with some really wonderful people. You've been doing something kind of exciting in the last few years. You've been, you've been making films in your old hometown in uh, near Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, yeah. where you grew up. Yeah. Uh, catch me up on some of that. I saw Getting Grace. I love it very much. I Thank know you. you're. <clears throat> yeah, I know you're in post production with uh, a new film. Just catch me up a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. We're well. So we made Getting Grace, uh, and that was just such a special thing, special movie. I I had a great co-writer named Jeff Lewis, who uh, came up with the initial idea, and then and then he and I you know, worked on making it the movie that you saw. Um, and we equity financed that for, for listeners. That means 
you know, I went around and I begged a lot of people for money uh, and, you know, with the hope and prayer that they would be paid back. Well, movie making is, you know, it's hard. And then there's distribution and that's a whole different enchilada that's, you know, very difficult for a filmmaker to deal with uh, the foibles of that. Anyway, um, I decided that as much as I love doing it that way, I didn't want no longer, you know, because I don't take, I didn't, I still haven't made a, a dollar off getting grace and, and never will. Um, and then I just decided I wanted to make movies without that that fear of other losing other people's money. So we created a not-for-profit called A Channel of Peace, and the not-for-profit makes the movies. And it still works the same way. You know, I'm... The, the first money in is, is, is my own. Uh, and then uh, we give opportunities to a lot of people. We've made two movies now through that. So that's really three in the Lehigh Valley. Uh, the first movie, A Channel of Peace, made was called Lucky Louie. Um, it's our, what you'd call it the redheaded stepchild movie because we weren't going to make it. The first movie we were going to make was the Hail Mary. But then this thing called COVID hit. I don't know if people heard about that, but it's this thing. That everyone's well, we're talking getting about. the word out now. Yeah, yeah. COVID. Let's. We should let people know about this thing called COVID. Um, a lot of people, I think it's what's been good is, you know, a lot of people, they're not as cute as you and me, Mark. So this whole mask thing has been better. You know, we don't have to look <laughs> at them. Um, anyway, uh, so we did Lucky Louie starring a great actor. Talk about a great character actor, Basil Hoffman, who's been in a hundred movies He's always been a supporting character, but of those hundred movies, I think twenty of them were nominated for best act or best picture or something. So mm. I had a heck of a career, and we gave him his his one and only starring role. Uh, I can say that because my friend Basil did go back to to heaven uh, a couple months ago. So um, we gave him that opportunity, and then finally got to make the Hail Mary, which is about the Lucky Louis about a a uh, very old uh, ex-cop who can't solve one bank robbery, so he teams up with his. He teams up with his. Uh, um, his Bible study, which is four ex-criminals that he arrested and rehabilitated, and you know because they're criminals, they start trying to figure out where the money went fifty years earlier, uh, uh. and and then uh, the Hail Mary is about a a very funny nun who finds a guy who needs redemption. And so she cons him into creating a football team for her all boys Catholic school. Um, and uh, so Lucky Louie's almost done in post-production. The Hail Mary's kind of still in, in the first, you know, phase one of three of post-production. We're in editorial. Um, but, uh, you know, I feel like I've been talking a lot, Mark. Uh, but... Uh, if people want to know more about it, please go to achannelofpeace.org. That's achannelofpeace.org. Um, and uh, they can learn a lot about it from there. Oh, that's great. I'm looking forward to seeing these these new ones. And I, and I like the the uh, stills, or rather not really stills, but behind-the-scenes uh, shots from Hail Mary that I've seen. Um I'm looking forward to that too. Oh, thank uh, you. Well, thank you. I think it's important for us. Look, you know, we're of an age, Mark and I, I mean, right. We're of an age and, and, uh, and Robert Quarry was very right about this. You know, I, 
my careers, I've gone from the guy who killed the girl to the guy representing the guy who killed the girl to the guy uh, who is the prosecutor, which is a smaller part, to the, you know, I'll soon be the judge. Like, your parts diminish as you age up. Um, yeah. And we're in a, you know, we're in a very unique time in Hollywood where they're, you know, they feel that there's been injustice and they're trying to correct it. Um, you know, I don't want to quagmire myself, but, you know, I think we should still always 100% be hiring the best people for any job. Uh, that's that's how I see it. And that's what I do with, oh. with my own company. I, I I hire everyone blind. I don't care. I don't care if one person's black, one person's white. I don't care. I just don't care. I, no, I, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the isms go all over the place, particularly in this business, like they do in every business, every business yeah. in life, you know, and, and one of the things, and I guess I kind of touched on this by, by talking about Robert Corey a, a moment ago, you know, there is ageism. Um, you know, particularly this is a problem with, with women where they still get to a certain age. And um, I, it's an ugly phrase that they age out uh, until or they're doing, you know. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, but I think there have been improvements everywhere with inclusiveness. Well, there should look, it, the theater... I'm sorry. Women and, and, and older people. I, I, I think that there have been massive improvements. Thank God for projects that are, you know, uh, streaming. I think the major studios have figured out streaming. So I think that uh, they can pay people well enough. We don't need to go any further there. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I. The question of diversity has always sort of been part of what I do with my work yeah me pretty, yeah me too it's it's funny that i'm an, you know we're allies we, we you know that's all i can say about that all i ever want to do is get the best actor in 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 any role and and i don't you know i don't need that i've never needed that dictated to me um yeah, yeah. and i guess some people did and that's unfortunate anyway what what i was saying was you know as our roles i'm talking about you and mine Mark, our roles for, let's say, you know, a gentleman over the age of 50 who are uh, white Americans, Caucasians, um, my workaround is, you know, I've, uh, I play uh, Grease Dritus in Jedi Fallen Order, and he's, he's greenish gray, and then Grandpa <laughs> Munster is blue, so I, you know, I'm, I've tried to find my own workaround, Um Anyway, that's a long way to go for that rotten joke. Uh, well, but I got to stop you right there because I told you this. Um, I told you this a while back. I I am. I don't know how to put this. I am for you. I am excited for you about Grandpa Munster in the Munsters. Um, I just think that that is. I mean, the the thing is, the phrase is among uh, certain circles. You and I, we're monster kids. We're monster we, we kids, right, up. right, right. That means we love you, you people who aren't, who aren't, you should be lucky that this man, Mark Redfield, is doing this project because he knows monsters because we have Aurora models and famous monsters and our girlfriends came to our house and said, what do you need with all this crap? 
and we had to get new girlfriends then. <laughs> you know, because we weren't going to get rid of our crap. <laughs> yeah. And I completely forgot I was, oh, well, obviously a part of the fabric of everything with the Renaissance or the push. And you mentioned Famous Monsters magazine because a lot of this comes back in the 60s when we're coming up and right. growing up in the 60s and 70s because, you know, Famous Monsters magazine is promoting the old stuff and the universal horror movies and the Aurora Monster. And there's a whole thing where all of this, and it wasn't just monsters. There was this kind of weird retro thing in the late 60s and 70s. And that's because TV stations were putting out, you know, they were showing the Laurel and Hardy shorts, right. the Three yes. Stooges movies. Old cartoons, little rascals, old car. Little our kids rascals. don't. Our kids don't have any frame of reference. And by the way, I've realized something else that nobody's thinking about. Listen to this, Mark. There's an entire generation who has no understanding of classical music, and we do because, you know, they put it into Bugs Bunny cartoons. <laughs> That's true. And, and 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 to some extent, Disney cartoons, obviously, Fantasia, but. The Bugs Bunny cartoons introduced all of us to the Barber of Seville. Uh, oh, absolutely! You know what I mean, and 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 all those and um, great Americana tunes, which are gone forever. In just two generations, they've been wiped out of the memory of the world. But we had we had this culture that always reached back. That's kind of, by the way, something I want to say that I am sort of doing with the Channel of Peace. I am reaching back into a time when I'm, I know the audience is out there. I'm making movies about something more than fast cutting and uh, hyper, hyper uh, action. You know, yeah. I'm slowing everything down a little uh, because you know, people, well, yeah, people want stories about, they, they, you know, it's, they want stories about people. Um I need to finish my thought before I forget. Oh, I'm sorry. You are, you are in, um, in, but we'll, this is all part of it. We'll circle back around. I mean, you are playing Grandpa Monster in Rob Zombie's feature film, The Monsters. And a couple of things I love about it. I, I'm excited for you. I, I love the, the, I love in the makeup design for your Grandpa Monster. And I don't know why I can't get over this. I love the fact that you that that grandpa has a mustache. It works so well. And I it's one of those things where it's kind of an obvious choice in a weird way. <clears throat> now you talk about being a real nerd and being a real monster kid. You know, Dracula in the novel Dracula has a big white droopy mustache, right? You know, with his canine fangs and you know, but you've got this nice handlebar thing and it really will differentiate you. Obviously, everyone who knows the series knows Al Lewis. Tend to forget, you reminded me, I said the, the other Grandpa Munster I really liked was Robert Morse. Robert Morse, right, Al Lewis, Robert Morse. I, I, I thought he was really, really wonderful. People forget that in between the 60s series and, and uh, the, the movie that'll be coming, um, I, I guess in I hope in 2022 there's no date yet for release. Yeah, I hope so too. But there have been other incarnations of it, so I'm so happy for you, and I'm and I'm so looking forward to it. Thank you. Well, it's all life is a blessing. You know, this is doing this work with you is a blessing. 
Um, I think it's, it's, you know, it's not, I, I, I maintain this, uh, if, you know, if this is a closing opportunity, I would close with, um, you know, we're all given an opportunity to see our future. We think, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that. And, and everything I loved as a kid is come full circle to, uh, my adulthood. But we were joking earlier while we were recording, uh, about not doing drugs or whatever, like the difference between, let's say me and another guy from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, who wanted to be an actor, just like I did is I never, I never, I never stopped working toward a goal. Um, and you know, that's why I took things like there's no drugs and alcohol, stuff like that out of my life as best I could so that my focus was always on, um, finding some level of success uh, to do what I wanted to do. And then, you know, having, being able to to do it often enough that I could raise a family on it. That's all yeah. I kind of ever wanted to do. Uh, I never needed to be a star. I've always, you know, I wanted to be William Wyndham or, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Don Rickles, Harvey Corman, any of them. I just wanted to be that guy that they could count on to stand next to the other guy and make him look better. I get it so well. I get it so well. You know, it's funny. And in conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, I'll just add a couple of things. I mean, doing this project, Frankenstein Mobster, you know, I knew Mark Wheatley and I knew this comic book when it came out in the early 2000s. And I thought it would make, as he does, a good movie. And I thought it would make a good audio drama. You know, it's goofy, good fun. It's this mashup of monsters and uh, mobsters. So it it plays on the Warner Brother films that we love, the gangster films with Cagney and Edward G. Robinson. It plays with all of the, the monsters that we loved. But one of the things, and I can only say this, and, and I'm dovetailing with you as we're getting a little bit older, as we're becoming a little bit more mature, as we can relax in the comfort zones of our skills and still keep learning. One of the things that, appealed to me so much about this is that underneath all of this goofy mashup of mobsters and monsters is that it's about family. Right. And it's, about, it's a father-daughter story. Yeah. It's there. And it was enough for me to say, you know, this is a little plus. This is a, a plus thing. And, you know, the, the only other thing I'll say in response is you stayed on it. You, 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 you had a clear path. I think we share that in common. A long time ago, and I don't know when this happened to me or when, because I wasn't conscious of it, but a long time ago, because I have, I have almost all of my adult life from the time I was 17 or 18 worked in entertainment. Been very lucky. At some point early on, I let go, I unclenched the idea of some kind of fame. And at some point it shifted in my thinking in me where I thought, you know, fame will bring a certain amount of money or, or, or green light kind of projects that I want to do. You know, I've had multiple theater companies. My point is, is that when I let that go a long time ago, I was able to enjoy the work and enjoy life. Yeah. And I think it's, it's kept me sane. That's what I'm hearing in what you say. Yeah. And we uh, look actors like the, I'm an actor who's in Hollywood, but Say I never came to Hollywood, I'd do what you did. You know, I'd, I'd figure out a way yeah. to 
to be an actor where I where I am and create opportunities. And that's the other thing. We're not just, you know, look, I make a movie, you do a play. That's not just giving me a part. I'm giving all these other actors parts. And even though I don't take any money for the movies, I pay as many people as I can. I, I can't even pay all of them because we make the movies <laughs> on such a small budget. But, you know, we're, we're creating opportunity. And that's, I think that's extremely important too. Uh, and that's a, a secondary blessing. So, yeah, I mean, in this thing I'm writing, uh, the audition is a job and other truths I've learned in the land of make-believe, which I hope to finish this next year. Um, in this book, the whole point of it is, you know, you should just learn to audition and then just go on with your day. Do whatever other thing your life in, in includes. And don't make everything about you right, that clenching of the fist and clenching of the idea that you've got to hold on to something because God's plan for all of us as actors or entertainers or ditch diggers or whatever we are is often similar but different. And when you lose a part, people say, oh, you'll get another part. And then you think, oh, that part will be just like the part I lost. But it's not. What you you When you lose something... What you gain is maybe a perspective or an outlook or you meet a friend or because you're not in that, you know, Rotten Ellen DeGeneres show, you're, <laughs> you know, you're down at Disney World with your family. That's what happened. I was talking about getting fired earlier. Like something better did come along. It wasn't exactly the same, but it was definitely better. So, you know, this is what we have to remember. Don't not live your life. And yeah. I don't mean to make it that simplistic. Yeah. Daniel, Daniel Roebuck, uh, again, thank you for the work today in the studio for Frankenstein Mobster. Thanks for, I love talking to you and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you again and working with you again. Thank you very much for, for doing this interview and sharing all of this with the folks that will be listening to, well, to these and, things and watching your films. And we're in the invisible, uh, we're, the space we're at is this invisible sound studio. Uh, the Invisible Studios in in uh, West Hollywood, California. Charles, our fantastic, uh, uh, our fantastic guy out here is uh, recording all this. Uh, this has just been a great opportunity, and uh, thanks. I wanted to also say thanks to Mark Wheatley for writing this, so I could be the Frankenstein mobster. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. I hope you have enjoyed the podcast and we thank you as always for listening and ask you to please subscribe to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. We do a new show every week and we've got some great stuff coming up. Some great audio drama, some more interviews, some great audio essays and a few surprises. This is Mark Redfield. Be good to each other. Until next time. Available now from Redfield Arts Audio. Baghdad. The great city and its citizens are celebrating. And now, 
as I am a river to my people. You must kill her, my handsome and still skeptical Captain Sinbad. The only good pirate is a dead one. Brace yourself, Captain Bola! The pirates are upon us! Their ship comes alongside us! I shall not rest until all of Badra's ships are burnt. Until she herself is destroyed. You remind me of only one other swordsman with such skill. Who? Me! What is that in that pile? This? Simply the blood of a siren mixed into a potion that I now drink. Look! Look! She changes, Captain! My eyes deceive me. She is transforming into a great beast. Harun, the lamp. Give me the lamp. For you and the people of Zalos, I have complete faith in Sinbad. He's the very man you need. Now available from Redfield Arts Audio. London at Christmas time. I had called upon my friend Sherlock Holmes upon the second morning after Christmas. Sherlock Holmes and the Blue Carbuncle. Adapted from the story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You, sir, what do you want? You will excuse me, but I could not help overhearing the questions which you put to the salesman just now. I think that I could be of assistance to you. How could you know anything of the matter? My name is Sherlock Holmes, and it is my business to know what other people don't know. You know nothing about Starring Mark Redfield as Sherlock Holmes and J.R. Liston as Dr. Watson. Available now on Audible and other online audio retailers. And here's to a happy new year, my old friend.